Grace and peace be yours from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and may he also grant you, day by day, moment by moment, peace, comfort, confidence. Amen. Dear fellow Christians, does everyone here agree that we find ourselves in difficult, disturbing times? War, abortion, pornography, human trafficking, an escalating drug epidemic, rampant government corruption, spiraling debt, gender dysfunction, and the list goes on and on, and all of this against the backdrop of ever-degrading national morality or immorality, which seems to be growing ever worse. And yet, for a child of God, life could not possibly hold greater promise or a brighter future. It doesn't always feel that way, does it? Problems here in this sin-broken world, this veil of tears, seem to, from time to time at least, just pile up to the point that it even becomes difficult to keep a future as bright as ours in perspective, to keep our focus on not just that, not just the life that God has promised for all those who know and believe in him, but the joy, the satisfaction, the comfort, the peace that he offers us right now. We plod through this life as if we're losing apprehensive and demoralized as though you're not really sure. It just makes no sense for children of God. And again, it's our emotions that do that to us. It's getting caught up in. It's getting our focus unadjusted or maladjusted so that we're looking at the wrong things. This morning, our text is absolutely going to to forbid that for God's children. And it's going to instruct us as to why that makes no sense. Not when we have our priorities set. Not when we have our gaze focused as we're supposed to. The text that will, by the working of God, the Holy Spirit, guide, instruct, comfort us, is found in the eighth chapter of Paul's letter to the Romans, beginning there with the first verse. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in, who believe in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us 
who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the Spirit, or the flesh rather, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their mind, minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. This is God's word. Our creator God desires to strengthen, comfort, encourage us through these words this morning that he would do just that. So we pray, sanctify us by your truth, O Lord. Your word is truth. Amen. Assuming that you are all familiar with the timeless classic, who was your favorite character on the Andy Griffith show or Mayberry RFD? If any of you picks Otis, please see me after the service. The point with asking the question is that I can't imagine anyone saying, I want to be Barney Fife. I want to be a neurotic, bipolar, weird, goofy dude that is forever looking around saying things like, Ange, the world, the whole world is just going to the, the you-know-what bad place in a handbasket. We want to be more like Andy, who we can just hear replying to that either, how you figure, Barn? Or, now wait just a cotton-picking minute. And that's what we need to do to ourselves, because there is that little Barney Fife in all of us. It's just bad all of a sudden, depending on some circumstance. And we need to, on the basis of God's word, have a little talk with ourselves. So we ask ourselves this morning, which is it for you? Which is it for me? Pessimism or optimism? Hope or despair? Confidence or apprehension? Are things really as bad as they seem? Of course they are. And of course they're not. It depends again, doesn't it, on what you're focusing upon, what it is that you are all obsessed with, that fills your vision, your world, your life, your thoughts. Does our nation have moral, financial, social issues? Obviously. 
But when has that not been true? When has that not been the case? The fact remains that even on a secular level, you and I enjoy a standard of living that our forefathers could not even imagine. The problem comes when we are filled or we fill ourselves with this terror about what could happen and how we might lose all this and things might go bad and might, might, might. And then we taint that all with a certain pessimism, forgetting that our whole lives through these evils, sin has always dominated this world. And every moment of every day has held the potential for bad things to happen to us, to our community, to our country, to our world. Bad things could happen. And yet, you look back and you think, how many of the bad things that I thought in advance might happen actually happened? You remember, David? I've been young. Now I'm old. Yet, I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging for bread. Never seen it. Was he filled with apprehension from time to time? Sure, I'm sure he was. But it never happened. And that's how we learn from the wise among us, the old hoary heads, as they're called, the ones that have been there and done that. They're usually the first to tell us that the problem is not so much that things are so much worse right now. It's our perception and our fears. And that's true, isn't it? Sometimes, maybe most of the time, the problem isn't out there. We see the problem, rather, in the mirror. We're filled with pessimism. We're filled with apprehension. We're terrified of what might be. And yet again, if we're honest, most of those sorts of problems are first world problems. They don't really speak to, am I going to have enough food? Am I going to have to live in an igloo with no heat during the winter? Is the winter ever going to end? And you can find miserable things in every aspect of your life at any given moment. You can pick out, and sometimes it's actually hard to do, but you can pick out, okay, what, what should I, what can I be apprehensive about? What can, I be, what can I be dissatisfied with? And isn't it telling if you have to stop and look for those things? God in his word says, instead of that, whatever things are, and you remember that list that Paul gave you? Good lovely, noble, honorable. Think about such things. In your life, when you find yourself all demoralized and apprehensive and, oh, woe is me, just look at what you have. Go back through your life. You're still a Christian. You're still a child of God, despite all of the attacks on your Christian faith. Despite that old Adam working daily within you, you are still a child of God. Your feet are still on the path to heaven. So again, what do you think the problem is? Why could we, how could we ever be demoralized, apprehensive, pessimistic, when we hear things in our text like this? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
And again, that means those who believe in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So that should fill our entire lives. That should level the valleys and the hills and allow us to go through life more like our God wants us to go through life. But again, why then, even though we know this, the dissatisfaction, the negativity? Let's dig into it a little bit deeper on the basis of our text. In our text, we read the following. For those who live according to the flesh and set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. I read that wrong. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. That tells me that if I'm filled with gloom and pessimism, maybe it's because I am setting my mind on the things of the flesh. What does that mean? Well, the things of the flesh are earthly stuff, the here and now. It includes everything that will vaporize when God calls this existence to an end on Judgment Day. And I find that that's disturbingly true and disturbingly accurate, not just accurate, but it happens all the time that I know better, and I do it anyway. I forget that this world is irreparably broken, that we can't fix it, that we can't take something that sin broke and on this earth repair it. And you know what's interesting? Not even God can do that. Because God's solution is going to be to destroy this creation. He's not going to try to fix it because we broke his perfection by our sin. Have you ever been forced by someone like your spouse to go shopping somewhere where you really don't want to go. To me, that's everywhere but shields and runnings. But you go along to get along, and you find yourself tailing along behind and looking and thinking, there is nothing here that I want. Nothing here that interests me. What do you think the problem is if you find yourself not getting anything out of God's word? Out of church? Out of Bible study? Sunday school? Your own personal Bible reading or devotions? You think the problem is that there's nothing there? Or maybe that you're interested in the wrong things. You're shopping for the wrong things. It has to be that, doesn't it? Because God's word 
is the bread of life, is the life, light rather, of our lives. Then that gives us an indication that I'm kind of focused on the things of the flesh. Not just, not a minor issue, isn't it? It's not, it's not as though, okay, yeah, we just got to clean that up a little bit. Listen to what our text says about that. For to set the mind on the flesh, that is to be focused on and all about this stuff, earthly stuff, for to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. This is not just sort of a minor thing that we need to brush up on a bit, is it? This is eternally life and death serious. It should get our attention. So does that mean that if I happen to drift a little bit when I'm saying my prayers or nod off a little bit during the sermon or I find my mind thinking, did I shut the oven off? Or did I leave the iron on? Does anybody iron anymore? I think most of them have automatic turn-ons, off, whatever. Now that you're sufficiently distracted, does that mean that I'm, I'm really not a child of God? Does that mean that I'm of the flesh and therefore hostile to God? Not necessarily, but what it does when you do that correctly for yourself, it tells you if there's something in your life that needs work, if there's something that I'm doing on a regular basis especially that needs attention, needs correction. For example, if I'm finding that I'm disinterested in what the Word of God offers, then I need some serious work, don't I? Then I'm shopping for the wrong things. Then I have my mind on the things of the flesh. If you need help with this, our text is just the ticket. Following up on that golden declaration that there is no confirmation, condemnation rather, for those who are in Christ Jesus, we're told not just the dangers of being earthly-minded, but the benefits of being otherworldly-minded. Listen again to how God the Holy Spirit through Paul clarifies the gospel, the key to life and peace and contentment and joy in the Holy Spirit. For the law of the spirit of life has, has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Stop for a moment and take that in. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus. That means through faith in Jesus Christ, you've been set free from condemnation. He's just restating that first a little bit differently. And it set you free from the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death is, if I sin, I earn death. Well, what's mankind's natural inclination when faced with that scenario? I have to fix it. I have to do something. So Paul goes on. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh. In other words, there's nothing wrong with the law. We just broke it. For 
God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. In other words, every time I think I need to do something to make myself more lovable to God, to pay for what I've done, we should remember these words, the law can't do it. You can't earn it. How did God fix this? Paul goes on. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. So he sent his son to become fully human, as we just confessed, and then he condemned his son, who was in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Far from irrelevant. These things teach us and remind us of things that we could never know on our own. Things that run contrary to the way things work in the world, but that are the key to everlasting life. And more than that, the key to peace, joy, no matter what, contentment. Remember Paul, when he was called into service, he said, I've learned the key to be content in all things. And then he listed a bunch of opposites. To be content when I have more than I need and less than I need. In good times and in hard times. And it was to focus on his Savior, the same guy who determined to know nothing among you except Christ crucified. In this section, again, in this whole letter of Paul to the Romans, he so beautifully pictures the positive and then contrasts the negative. You are saved by grace through faith, not by works. There's nothing to boast about because when we were still enemies of God in the flesh, God sent his son, died for us, and then brought us to faith. We didn't do anything. How could we? We were his enemies when he did it. And all of this, all of the things that he put in his son, God credits to you and me free of charge. Well, free for us. Jesus paid dearly, but that's the point, isn't it? Jesus already paid. Think about it. a couple times in my life, not often, not often, it's kind of fun, but where someone sends you to pick up something for which they've already paid. Kind of like that, isn't it? We just receive something. It's of incalculable value, but it's already been paid for. It's perfection. And when you think of how impossible for me to ever gain perfection, I can't because I already failed. Math never works. But I've been given that because of Jesus. It's mine. So no one needs to tell you that the world drains 
the world around you will demoralize you if you allow it to. The news is nearly always bad and the outlook almost never good. Spend time on secular news sites, no matter where they are, which perspective they come from, and you're going to be demoralized, disappointed. Your world is going to close in. Your view of heaven and that long-term perspective of life is going to be darkened. So turn it off if you need to. Refocus, especially when you're feeling pessimistic. Look back to what God in his word says. Spend that time in that word. Begin your day that way. You're going to have a better day. Because your mind is going to be shifted. You're going to not be conformed to the world. And I love that word that Paul used there. It's like a, when you buy a new pair of shoes, your foot doesn't adapt to the shoe. Usually you wear your shoe the way your foot is. And Paul is saying, don't be conformed by the world. Don't shape yourself around the way the world is be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And part of that transformation is that joy that our God wants us to have, that peace, that comfort, that assurance that God says, I've got this. I'm still in control. The wind and the waves still know my voice. Nothing can happen to you, my child, that I do not allow. And what I have in mind for you is the greatest thing you can imagine, beyond what you can imagine. It's an existence with me forever in heaven, made possible because my son paid what you owed. God, help us to swim free of the entanglements of this life especially in the, the depressing elements that are all around us. And fill us again with that joy, that confidence, that peace, knowing that even when things are hard, even when things are bad, not only is our life good, our life to come is going to be amazing. God grant it for the sake of his son who earned that future for us. Amen.